We are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of two co-hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on X and all the socials these days. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. If you're a new listener, chances are you found us. Welcome in. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, welcome back. I'm based in California, and I'm going to toss it to my main man in Canada, Mr. John Reed, you can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand at Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert Hammer HQ. He does tennis form recaps. John, have you been covering Caroline Dolahide at all this week? I know we talked before you were doing some WTA Guadalajara, but welcome in. None of her matches. Zero. Yeah, it's it'll be uh it's interesting. It speaks to the Guadalajara field, man. Like it is what it is. I mean, I don't think the men have this. I don't even think Paris is this week for Masters. Although you can make a so- a case that like Sock and you know, Beneteau in a final, perhaps Julian Beneteau making the the Paris final resembles this kind of run from Carolyn Dalahide. But it, you know, tough week. I mean, they're all in Tokyo, right? Because it's Tokyo, Beijing, five hundred and a thousand. You got like Shviatex there and that draw in Tokyo. And these two women, Garcia and Sakri, who played in the semis, have performance buys, so they don't have buys because they're of their seedings, or maybe. Sakari does, but they're through to the second round based on performance in Guadalajara, aka where we apologize for making you play a fourteen-hour, a fourteen-hour time zone difference away in what will likely take you three to four flights to get here in back-to-back weeks. <laughs> like that's what they're doing. They're saying, please don't withdraw from Tokyo so we can keep that field strong. But I can't see either of them playing Tokyo. Like, is Maria Sakari if she finally wins a mass like a, a one thousand event going to go play Tokyo? Probably not. Anyway, that's the women's tour. Well. If Dolahide wins Guadalajara, I will be printing t-shirts that say Caroline Dolahide, Guadalajara Print Fest 2023. I mean, this woman has been cashing huge tickets all week, and I've thankfully been on the right side of those, uh, including yesterday. A plus 320 I got her versus Sophia Kinnan. I know we're an ATP podcast, but I want to give a big shout out to Caroline <laughs> Dolahide, who's, uh, who's been awesome this week. Thank you for your your miracle run here all right well, let's pivot back to the men's side of things here in tennis and talk about it happened to our accountability segment what do we win what do we learn we did a lot of draw talk here so uh, a little bit different for us wins so far we have zverev uh, into the quarters uh, we talked a lot about him uh, as a value to win chengdu at plus uh, 160 and uh i tell you what he really had to go three sets with uh, pavel kotov last night huh he couldn't go four with vukic at the u.s open cash my over 34 no he's got to go got to go to a tie break and three sets with kotov on a hard court here in chengdu oh man this guy's very anyway he's still alive for us uh, we got archer rinderknecht we got a little bit lucky with Rusevori pulling out mm-hmm. uh, of this event, uh, although Rinderknecht chose to play a pretty tight set with Lee too as Rusevori's replacement, uh, but picks up a nice win last night versus Marcos Giron. Uh, that eight to one ticket for Rinderknecht to win his quarter is still alive here. One went away from cashing that against Musetti. Losses lost Zizu Bergs, who apparently had some sort of wrist injury, could only hit a slice backhand in his match, and still almost beat. Lyovich <laughs> went to three sets. That was a weird one. Ben Locke sucks. goes, yeah, <laughs> sucks <laughs> and goes down to Kashmanovich. Doesn't catch the set one or the plus five and a half for us. Uh, Arnaldi 
has a chance to serve it out and uh, gets broken. 4-1, to 8-1. Tickets on him go down as well. <sighs> Arnoldi one was tough. And then I see that Karatsev uh, storms back to beat Murray last night. I don't know how, how Andy Murray plays out two hour-long sets against Aslan Karatsev on quick hard courts. Aslan Karatsev does not want to play long points. I mean, h- how you get dragged into long games and long points with Aslan Karatsev, who is more than willing to keep them short, is beyond me. I mean, I, Andy Murray was supposed to be, you know, tactically and and kind of tennis IQ, one of the better players out there for years. Playing two hours and 15 minutes through two sets, you were dead in the water. What are you doing? These are fast courts. Karatsev is not someone who's looking to prolong rallies, looking to drag things out. How are you just playing like tennis? It's way too high margin. It's That was just one of the worst approaches I think I've seen from Andy Murray. Just incredibly stupid. But, you know, hopefully this is an indicator that maybe he'll be retiring soon. Because if he can't, he can't keep things short on a, on a fast hard court. He's screwed on slow surfaces and he has no path to victory anyway. So maybe we end up the winners and he retires. We're good. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He, I feel like he thinks like making every match super long is beneficial for him, which I is is not. I don't know. He he does seem to drag things out. I mean, he needs to take a page out of Warinka's playbook, which Warinka does this match in match out, which is try to get off the court as fast as possible, and that's why he's, you see some success for him this year. All right, John. Well, we have some some pretty juicy matches here. We can talk about. We have quarterfinals at both sides to talk about. Uh, let's hop into those after I talk to you about Spotify for podcasters. Okay, John, let's kick it off with ATP Chengdu. We have a pretty good match, which is strange for me to say with both these players. Uh, but in these conditions, uh, with how they've both been playing in 2023, I, I think justifiably so. And that's Jordan Thompson versus Roman Sefillian. Sefillian is a minus 120 favorite. Jordan Thompson is even money as a dog. Thompson won earlier this year in Adelaide. 6464. Sophia won way back in 2015, which doesn't really matter in this matchup too much, but he does have a win against this guy in his past. Thompson took out Purcell, his countryman, who I thought was a pretty good bet uh, given his form at plus 550, but that goes down. He also beats Lyovich, rightfully so. Lyo should not have beaten Bergs, but is what it is. Now he takes on Sophia, who has some good wins uh, on paper against Nakashima and, and Dan Evans coming into this matchup. I feel like, as the dog, Jordan Thompson provides a little bit of value here, even though it is even money. What do you think about this one, John? Ah, I think this is probably properly priced. Sefulin is just, look, Roman has, has the pedigree on quick courts. I mean, as does Thompson. The difference between these two is the the sheer like power and the weaponry would definitely favor Roman Sefulin, right? He's got a much bigger, flatter forehand, dictates more, and in terms of conditions, where Thompson would normally have the advantage over a lot of players on a fast hard court or on a grass court where he's super comfortable, he doesn't in this spot because Sefulin is pretty much a quick court specialist. Even even his clay run in Madrid was because he was in altitude and some of the quicker conditions you find on tour on clay. Um, I think that's his lone clay run. I'm not sure. Maybe he has one other random one. But he, he's out and out a, a, a quicker court specialist. It's where his preference is where his game benefits and he's got the bigger weapons i mean i, I think i understand completely where the market's coming from here i, I do think sefulin should be a, a slight favorite in this matchup now there's going to be a lot of serving going on in this matchup they have a 23 as the total so it's ticked up a little bit but not that much i feel like an overlook might be uh, worthwhile here a couple of tiebreak sets could be impending yeah i think i think you're over sets and over 23 like over two and a half sets over 23 would be a look. I mean, one, you have a closely lined match, right? Which indicates if, it, if it's 
going to be a pick em or, or like a coin flip match. And the odds are overwhelmingly telling you both guys are likely to win a set. Now, it's not a guarantee, of course. But you get three sets, you're cashing a 23 here. I mean, a three set under <laughs> with these guys in these conditions would be like insanely abnormal. So you've got that going for you. You've got the close match. You've got the fact that, you know, the conditions are quicker. And I said earlier, I said on the last episode we had, I do think that if they're going to continue to hang 22 and a half, 23s on these courts, it would be enticing to me. If you get two guys who have a good enough serve, we know that they both have good serves. If they, ha- if they're both playing in quick conditions, which are, you know, if the players both enjoy quick conditions, pardon me, which they do. And it's a relatively close match on paper, which it is. I mean, it, it has all the different factors you'd want for an over. Now, some people are going to go out there and say it's a trap line. And a trap line is does not exist. It, it just, it's a matter of, it's not a lock. It's not a guarantee. But more often than not, we should we should go over 23 games here. If we don't, that's because there's a range of outcomes where each guy, where each guy wins 7-5-6-4 or 6-4-6-3. There's a, a lot of different possibilities. It's just a matter of which are more likely at this point. And to me, that over does seem like a good look. You can get a 22.5 at bet online at minus 115 uh, over. And uh, I'm going to bet that right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's barely juice. That's barely any juice relative to a, 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 your normal minus one ten line. Obviously, duh. Uh, and boy, see, like that's this is one of those matches where if they're going to sit there and put out a twenty two and a half, like you'd get it, you'd get this at twenty one and a half or twenty two. Probably it's a men's match. You're probably getting this at twenty two in like Indian Wells. You know what I mean? The, there's not a half game difference between Indian Wells and, and Chengdu. It's just, it's just not the way it works. Even even if you're you know. 21 and a half in Wells between these two particular players on a hard court. I still think you need to be a game and a half to two games uh, different on like they're that much quicker and you're going to get that many more free points that breaks are be that much harder to come by. Yeah, it is a drastic difference and we're not seeing that reflected in, in certain matches. Uh, and that was, like I said, last episode, that's something you're going to have to watch for at least this week and next. I think obviously the markets will adjust by the time we get to Shanghai, but in the next few weeks, you're going to have opportunities if the courts are quicker to to kind of pick off 22 and a half in matches they shouldn't be. Over 22 and a half is uh, the play in that one. Let's pivot to our guy, Arthur Rinderknich versus Lorenzo Musetti. Uh, Musetti is minus 155 as the favorite. Rinderknich is plus 130 as a dog. We have another 22 and a half years of total. The game spread is two. Now, minus 155. I mean, I have the Rindignich plus 800 for the quarter in pocket here. I am tempted to hedge, but I actually feel like this is a pretty good matchup, and this is why we have this in pocket uh, versus Musetti. Musetti walks in here. He had one match against World 325, Sekulich from Australia, uh, in which he played two tiebreak sets and then bageled in the third set. He lost to Gabriel Diallo at Davis Cup in straight sets. Rendernich did play that tight match against Lee too, but pretty straightforward win against Giron at plus 130, tempted for a double down here versus Musetti. Well, I think I'm always tempted for a double down, but KFC took those away in Canada. So, you know, I'm shit out of luck. But I think this is, again, plus 148 is where it opened at Pinnacle. There I'm in on Rinderknecht. Plus 125, not so much. I'll probably let that one go. I'll cheer for Rinderknecht for the quarter tickets. But yeah, I'm not seeing too much I like pretty much anywhere in Chengdu. It's just, it's a matter of, again, can can Rinderknecht pick away at that one-handed backhand? As much as it's improved and, is, and you know, as much as Musetti's trying to get reps in on quicker surfaces, it's still not where it needs to be in these types of conditions, particularly against this type of player. We just saw it. A very raw kind of 
version of Outsell Rinderkinesh is, you know, a Philip Sekulich, who has for years had a monster serve forehand combo, but just never really put it together, right? Um, at any higher level. Now, all of a sudden, he's made a challenger final and he's qualified. I think he qualified here and he pushed Musetti. So we're starting to see Philip Sekulich as a young player come into his own. Rinderkinesh is like the next step up right still has that massive serve still has that really good forehand still hits a flat ball which again it's not just about the pace with which you hit your shots if you hit your ball if you hit a flatter ball that takes time away from opponents as well there's no arc under it you're not getting the spin doesn't you know carry it up and then and in a loopy fashion back down into the court which means that in and of itself even if you don't hit the hardest shot if you hit a really flat ball, it can take time away for opponents and not let them set up their, you know, the shot they want to execute. So, I mean, Rinder Kinesh can do that as well uh, in these conditions. That's a lot to ask from Muzetti to deal with both power and, you know, a more natural player on a, on a quick hard court and someone who's who's capable of hitting a flatter ball to take even more time away from it. So I think it's a good matchup for Rinder Kinesh, but I'm not going to go make the case that he should be a favorite here. I don't think he's as well-rounded as Muzetti. So, you know, where it is now probably seems right. If there's some buyback on Muzetti in the market, I'm not sure there will be, but if there is and Pinnacle gets back into that, you know, anywhere near where it opened above plus 135, I think I'd probably start taking a look at it. I'm going to back render attention. I'm going to double down at plus 130 because I have only a, a half unit on the, I'm going to, I'm going to upgrade to a full unit and just, I'll, I'll lose a full unit on this one. Why not? We're one went away from a nice little payday. All right. Nothing much for Zverev and Kashmanovich. Although I am so mad at myself for not playing Kashmanovich versus Mutet last night at minus two. I just, I looked at the numbers from Mutet's first match. He won like 36% of his second serve points. I mean, if you're doing that against Kashmanovich, you're going to get roasted. I just was scared of Kashmanovich just being randomly bad for one set as he does. So um, often. <laughs> yeah. All right. Grigor Dimitrov versus Chris O'Connell is our last one here in Chengdu. It's a four game spread. Grigor is minus 325 on the money line. O'Connell is plus 260. The total is 22 here. Grigor has had a nice 2020. Three. Now, we do have a 1,000 event coming up. I'm just wondering about Grigor's commitment to this match with O'Connell at plus 260 here, plus 287 on bet online, on the money line for O'Connell. I was on the under 20 and a half last night against uh, JPV with Grigor. It was more of a sweat than I cared for. He was getting broken left and right. I was able to find breaks himself. That's how he cashed that ticket for me. But, I mean, he's been a, a pretty good bet on player against lesser talents all year, Grigor. But I think this might be a, a nice spot to chase a dog here. Anything for you in this matchup, John? You talk about that narrative. It's there. And it's not just Shanghai either, Dave. It's it's Beijing next week, which I believe is a 500. I mean, if I'm Grigor, I've got my win here. I don't know if I tank out. I mean, what would you rather? I, I guess it's a matter of would you rather make a deep run at a 500 and get yourself ready for Shanghai or just straight up win the 250 in Chengdu and then and then just go to Shanghai with a ton of confidence and momentum. I mean, you can make a case for either. So I don't I don't know how much I want to put, put stock in that, but I certainly get where you're coming from because I too would be a little apprehensive about backing him all the way through this tournament when you know, you've got Beijing on the horizon. You've got Shanghai. Then he gets a week off. Then he plays Tokyo. I Unless they downgraded Beijing. And in my mind, I, I keep thinking to myself, it might be a 250. But if it is still a 500, then, you you know, that's 500 Masters event, week off 500. You can't fault players for potentially looking ahead. 
again, like I said, it, it's tough though, just because Shanghai is also, I believe, a two-week Masters this year. I'm pretty sure it's one of those 10-day main draw events. At least that's the way it looks on the calendar. So, I mean, he's also got that going for going for him. Maybe not. Maybe it just starts on a Wednesday because that's what they're doing with this swing. But, yeah, I mean, any other year I would easily be backing Okan at like plus two, plus two eight without hesitation. He likes quicker courts. His serve is going to play up. He's super consistent. He's a very smart player. He's pretty much everything you want to oppose Grigor to be tough with, right? All the things Grigor doesn't do well, consistency, tactical kind of mental acuity that maintains a level throughout an entire match, like all those things with an underrated game itself, talent-wise. That's exactly who the kind of, that's what the underdog, the profile of an underdog, pardon me, that you would want to back against Grigor Dimitrov looks like. But this year, man, Grigor on a quick court, I don't know. I think, I think I pass here, but... I'd certainly be, te- I'm certainly more tempted by O'Connell than, than laying games. Like I said, laying games on quicker courts like this probably going to be something I do sparingly uh, throughout the next month. And uh, this is certainly one where I wouldn't be laying anything with, with uh, Grigor Dimitrov and be looking at O'Connell or, or nothing. These two played earlier this year in Geneva, a three set match. Uh, O'Connell won the first set at tie break. Grigor won the second set seven, five and won the decider six, four. They also played in 2017, which featured another tie break set. Dimitrov won at the Australian Open. He won in straight sets, actually. Um, 6-3, 6-3 after that. So they've played two tight matches in their head-to-head history. I know we're not big head-to-head guys, but a four uh, spread here, certainly tempting for me. They have the total down at 22 here. I think realistically, you've got a pretty good shot at a tie break, and then you're just kind of sweating. If Grigor wins that, does he get a single break? I was just going to ask if you get that four, because right now my odds aggregation site is messing with me a little bit and not loading pages. So I'm trying to get to the over and, and four. If you can get a, I was just thinking I don't often bet games very like, but if I could get a, uh, the four instead of the three and a half, God, that's super tempting as would be an over. If you're going to get a four, you're probably in like a 20, what? 21 and a half, 22 range. And again, it's one of those matches where if you're going to hang me a 21 and a half in these conditions. This isn't JPB, man. This is a hard court natural in, in Chris O'Connell. Also good on clay, but like a lot more natural on hard courts than someone like a Juan Pablo Varillas, right? So if I'm going to get like a 21 and a half, I'm certainly playing at a 22. I'd consider it. I'm There we go. I'm seeing a 22 minus 107. So, I mean, it's right on the borderline of of O'Connell being value on the money line. And I think you're seeing those, those secondary markets, those uh, spreads and totals that correlate. They look a lot more tempting to me, which is really odd because you know me, I'm usually... I'm usually more inclined towards money lines with underdogs. And then I, I kind of use those as almost quasi hedges against chokes. But in this spot, I think I'm actually more inclined to look like the over in the spread. All right, John, let's pivot over to the other side. Zhuhai. Now I was hoping for better odds in this one, but Karen Hachanov and Mackenzie McDonald are about to play. Hachanov is minus 115 and McDonald is minus 105. So it's essentially a pick them with Hachanov, the slightest of favorite. The total is at 23 here. Man, I was hoping Mackie was coming in as a, a dog. I was looking to back him. But at pick, I don't know. Going three sets with a poor form Jerry Shung is not uh, really blowing my hair back here at minus 105. Yeah, I mean, Chana faced 10 break points in his first set against Alex Bolt, who's not exactly returned <laughs> like a, a really strong return. Now, that said, I don't think he faced one in the second set, which is a little more reassuring. But again, you're playing Alex Bolt. Like I would expect a Chanoff to face between zero and two break points per set against Bolt, right? That that would be my expectation. I don't think it's realistic to ask a player 
to not face a break point all match against even a poor returner because it only takes you know a double fault an unforced error and one really nice shot from your opponent to boom be at that the three points they require to be up 15 or 30 40 and so i think it's a little unreasonable to ask like no break points face but with alex bolts returning with the chanoff's normal power i certainly would not expect to see 10 break points in a set against him uh, and that was really disconcerting. And I think, again, even the zero break points, the next set is a little reassuring. It shows he did get his feet at, uh, under him and his rhythm back. But, you know, with Alex Bolt on the other side of the net, it, it's it's not anything to be writing home about. So I'm a little concerned both with Hachanov's. He didn't look good against Mo. He didn't look particularly good against Alex Bolt. He didn't. I don't know if this is a, a great matchup for him with Mackey, but at the same time, I ended up taking the plunge and backing him against Mo in his first match back because I think, you know, he, that went from what should have been a dollar forty to about a dollar sixty-seven. So minus two fifty to like minus one fifty, just based on the injury. And I get that the injury is worth a lot when you haven't played in a while, but I thought it was too much. I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting to get to that same territory here. Now it didn't work against Mo, and it probably won't work here. So I'm trying to hold myself back from betting Hachanov. But th- just think about it from the most basic perspective here. Who's the better tennis player? Period on a hard court. It's it's not a it's not a they're dead even 50-50. So now it's it's just a matter of how much do you want to price in Hachanov still having to regain his form? Is he not at least a 60-64-36-65-35 favorite on a hard court, a quick hard court against Mackie when healthy? So you're telling me now that's all the way down to 50-50? Like, really? Are we gonna like move things from like a 30% gap between them to zero? It just, it feels like an overreaction from the most basic state, like the most basic, like logical standpoint you could look at it from. It, it just feels like this is a little too much as, as bad as Hachanov has looked against players like Bolt and Mo, who are worse than McDonald's. So you can come at it from either side. I'm trying to hold off betting it though. Uh, I, I just prefer to, again, try and skip this one if possible. But if this keeps moving and Hachanov gets even money or, or like plus 105, it, it's going to become inevitable that I, that I end up throwing something down on him. Now, here's something uh, that might interest you, John. These guys have played three times uh, in relative recent history. 2022, they played in Doha, so similar quick conditions. First set tiebreak. They played in Wimbledon in 2021. Fourth set tiebreak. They played in Marseille in 2021. First set tiebreak. They played three times. All three matches have featured a tiebreak. You can get, will there be a tiebreak in the match, at plus 140 on Bovada. I think that's a pretty good bet as chances are there will be not to chase trends, but I think that given the conditions, yeah, I think that's a pretty good play there. In addition to uh, maybe a peek at Hachanov on the money line. Yeah. And I think that, that again, that could be, that's all going to be a perspective thing too, right? Is do you look at Hachanov and say, man, his serve is not where it needs to be for me to rely on him to get to a tie break like he did in those other matches. Or do you look at it and say, you know what? It was he struggled against Mo, who is like a very good returner, very athletic, and then he struggled for a set against Bolt. But that second set, he cleaned it up, and he's coming in, having coming off of a, a set without facing a break point, and his his return game certainly isn't at its peak, right? So you can again, you can both sides this, but <laughs> this is a plus one forty, not a pick'em. So I mean, it's a little more tempting <laughs> to take to take the yes if you think there's uh, almost an equal chance that either either narrative could play out where Hachanov's serve just isn't good enough and and you can't get the tie break or you think that yes it is rounding into form plus his return game is off right now so it's worth a shot at plus 140 i don't hate that and you said that's not first that tie break right that's just will there be a tie break in the match yeah that's any time tie break 
So if this goes three sets, you get three cracks at it and you get two cracks at it regardless. And if there's a retirement, it voids. Yeah, plus 140 for any time tiebreak is, oh God, what does that make the first set tiebreak? Plus three, 400? I don't have that uh, on. You'd have to look that one up. Yeah, it's plus plus uh, four, 393. Let's call it plus 400 uh, at Pinnacle. So. Sprinkle! I, mean, that, I, I was just, damn it, I was going to say, that can't be, that can't, you can't not sprinkle that, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sebastian Corda won 6-1 last night, then randomly dropped the second set to Mueller. If that isn't quintessential Sebi Corda in 2023 post-injury, uh, I don't know what is. I mean, my God, you, you have the cover in hand and then you fork it right back over. I can't believe he was broken multiple times by Mueller. Like, and didn't find a break back in the second set. I didn't bet it, but it's just mind-blowing to me. Nothing about that matchup screams that that should have been a cover by Mueller. Like, the first set was how it should have gone for two sets. And yet, Korda found himself in a three-set battle. Now he's playing Tomas Echeverry, who took down my guy Dalibor Spachina. Ugh, Dalibor. Dude, get some power, man. Korda is minus 300 on the money line. Echeverry is plus 240. These two played in last month, which is weird to say, considering we're at the end of September, and this was early August, because it feels like forever ago, with Korda winning uh, relatively easily, 6-3, 6-2. He won by seven games. The spread is three and a half here, and now we have conditions that I don't think are as friendly as Toronto would be for Echeverry, but yet we have Korda doing Korda things. The Heat was looking like, it, which he's, he's a Florida guy. The heat was looking like it was getting to quarter last night, too. He looked like uh, a wet dog. What are you thinking, John? I think I want nothing to do with this match. <laughs> I'm like, no. Hell, I woke up and I exactly the same thoughts. I woke up and saw the scoreline, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back and watch that. But that's pretty. that, that was a pretty sebi quarter thing to do. You know, 6-1-2-6. But about as quarter as quarter can get in 2023. Um, Echeverry wipes Dalibor's for China. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Obviously, he has more power. Uh, than Dalibor. Neither really really prefers these conditions. Uh, if they were both to to pick a surface, it would be clay and probably at sea level. So, I mean, Echeverry just has the pop. He has the ability to dictate uh, it, between two guys who don't like it. So I'm not going to put too much stock in that. Even if it was a seven-game win, the margin might be the only impressive part there. But Corda um, uh, should be like the minus 300 he is uh, in the market average right now. I have no problem with that. All right. Well, let's round to the finish. With Yoshi Nishioka versus Jan Leonard Struve. Now, this is interesting because Yoshi's walking in as a minus 150 favorite. Struve is plus 125 as the dog. The spread is two. We have 22 and a half here. I know that Struve has been coming back and he only has. Coming back wouldn't. No. I mean, Hachanov's been coming back. Struve's played one match against Christian Garin on a fast hard court. Struve is, is like just just back not right not really like coming back or has been around no no no. he's he's in my mind he's still in his first match off injury because beating christian got in three sets is not is not does not count like you do not get credit for that good sir no nishioka beat struf in 2020 on an indoor setting in three sets struf beat nishioka in paris which is surprising to me also an indoor setting but slower conditions i think that be better for Yoshi, but that was 2019. A little maybe a different player. Not bringing a ton of those into this, but I mean, am I even trusting Nishioka though in this one? 
like he's been in really poor form. He beats Lloyd Harris, who's not exactly been great himself at two tie breaks. Like, does that make him a definitive favorite in this matchup? Yes. Well, <laughs> it's more the fact that Struff playing one match and looking bang average in it since July, June, July, no. June or July, one of the two. That's what makes him an over an overwhelming favorite. I mean, trust the market. <laughs> he Nishioka opened plus one hundred two on Pinnacle, and I am so mad I did not see that price. Uh, he's down to minus one hundred fifty, and I would make the case that he should be like minus one hundred seventy. So I still think there might be room to bet him. Yeah, I mean, there is no one who who believes in Struff in this market right now, and it to me it makes total sense. Like I'm not gonna gonna take a position against them here, even at plus one thirty five. Now. Plus 135 is still plenty of respect for Jan Leonard Struve, right? I mean, that's still well over 40% chance to win this match. I don't think he is. A, I think he's closer to 37, 38, 39. I mean, I want Nishioka to win. I hate Struve. Uh, I'm a Struve fader. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Confirmed. Confirmed Struve fader, and which has not been the way to play Struve in 2023. Thankfully, he's been out of the picture, so he hasn't been punishing me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, a chance to fade him here once again. Man, plus 102. I wish I would have caught that myself. But at mm-hmm. minus 150, I don't know, man. I'm a little... Uh, I need to see more from both these players. Um, That's fair. Now, we don't have any odds up, but we'll we'll hit the last match, which is Karatsa versus Nori. Nori is 2-0 against this guy. He beat Karatsa in London on grass in 2021. Straight sets. A six-game win. Stockholm on an, uh, in an indoor setting. In 2022, so about a year ago this time, Nori won in three. Karatsev won the first set at tiebreak, and then Nori won 6-3, 6-4. Karatsev only had four double faults in that match against Murray. Flash score isn't the best for unforced errors, but according to Flash score, Karatsev has only had 24 unforced errors in five sets of tennis here. Or no, six sets of tennis here. I mean, that doesn't seem like Oslo Karatsev numbers. So, so as good as that is, do you think it's sustainable? I do not. But also, Nori has been... Dude, what is going on with Cam Nori? I mean, if you've been fading Cam Nori, like, since Miami, you've been making a mint. Yeah, I mean, he looked good against Mark Pullman's, but, like, it's Mark Pullman's, so... I'm so bummed <laughs> I didn't have that Kova money line at, like, plus 500 in Acapulco, which was so random. I did have... Who did he lose to um, at the US Open? Arnaldi? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did have that. I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for this match. I have to. I have to say, both these guys are about as untrustworthy as it gets at the moment. No, yeah, Norris about minus one fifty five, minus one sixty, whatever one point sixty three is, um, at Pinnacle. So plus one forty over on um, Karatsev. So I mean, trust Karatsev at your own peril, especially off two pretty decent performances. Uh, <laughs> it's like you're playing with fire, backing him to go like three, four, five in a row. Playing clean tennis. Let me just say that. I could not agree more. I, I mean, this is... Like, <laughs> dude, I, I'm saying yesterday, I'm seeing the timeline, which congratulations to everybody you, you won on Karatsa, but like the entire timeline was touting Karatsa versus Andy Murray, and he had to come back to, to do so, so congratulations you hit, but like, dude, what about Aslam Karatsev makes people like enthused about touting him? I mean, well, the, I quick- the, the quick conditions I get, but this guy is a full clown. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think the one thing that was the most enticing, but it was what was enticing about Karatsev there was also enticing about Murray, right? The quick conditions should lead to short points. Short points mean fewer errors for Karatsev. It also means 
the physicality for Murray can't be exploited. But for some reason, they played super long points, which should have favored neither of them, really. Like, Karatsev should be spewing errors in those or long games, at least, right? If you play more points, a guy like him should also have more errors. It's just, it's really odd to see him play long games and points and games and still manage to split the first two sets. And then, of course, he runs away with it in the third. That was not exactly how I'd expect the game script for Karatsev to go. So, I mean, while that, like you said, good cash... I wouldn't rely on that game script. I think that's more of an outlier uh, for a long, prolonged match than the rule. You know what I mean? Like that, that That's the exception that makes the rule rather than what you'd expect Karatsev to do on the regular in, in long matches. You know, I'm going to keep an eye on this. Uh, if this closes with like Nori getting down to like minus 140, minus 130, I'm going to play Nori. Completely agree. All right, John. Nice little episode here. Good to be back. We're, we're catching some rhythm. Feels good. Uh, we'll be back uh, early next week uh, to talk some Beijing. And I think Astana next week too, right? It goes down to a 250 from a 500. Yes, and Astana. Of course, I'll be playing uh, Dolahide at plus 375. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're free you. rolling now, bro. You're free rolling after the the, the rest of this week <laughs> dude i'm telling you it'd be cool a cool shirt you could put on the back like it'd be like you can put like all of our um wins in the money line oh there you go the date <laughs> the score <laughs> and, the, and the money line in brackets i might get into the merch game dolehide wins today uh, <laughs> all right guys uh we will see you next time follow john at jared tweets tennis at tidbits tennis do subscribe to us on spotify uh if you are a spotify Listener, give us a rating, a review. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Until next time, see you on the court.